Well, good morning and welcome to our service here at River Oaks. So great to have all of you with us. Welcome also to those of you joining us online today. This is the beginning of the Advent season. Now, if you're not familiar with the term Advent, it comes from a Latin word meaning to come. And historically in the Christian church, uh, beginning four Sundays prior to Christmas Eve, Advent has been a celebration uh, that recalls the coming of Jesus Christ as a baby to this earth. And um, one thing that I think might uh, help all of us learn a little bit more about Advent <clears throat> is a series of classes that David Holcomb did. They can be found on our YouTube channel, <clears throat> simply called Advent and Christmas. David did these over the past three weeks. And really, I think they are seminary quality teachings. Uh, David is a great teacher, and you can get those seminary classes in a really short three hours. So you'll find those on our website, also on our YouTube channel. Uh, furthermore, uh, Pastor David Holcomb has prepared for us a little Advent handout each week. You can use if you're continuing to meet in your small groups or for your own study. Got a little background about the passage for the week and then some application questions. Those are right at the main table as you come into the uh, worship area with the bulletins there. And uh, just note those uh, for you this morning. Before we get into the message, I want to say a special thank you to those of you who are part of our Operation Christmas Child uh, ministry this year. Uh, thank you to Ken and Denise Jones, who did a marvelous uh, effort in bringing together over 220 volunteers and received well over 6,000 shoeboxes here at our church. And uh, would you join me in thanking all those? <clears throat> Thank you, Danny Parrish, for your role in this. <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful thing. And so, uh, so great to see those boxes coming here. Appreciate all so many of you did. Well, would you join me now as we pray before we get into God's Word this morning? Father, we come in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ again to you today. And Lord, you have called us to pray for the nation in which we live. And Father, there are many things for which we need to pray. We pray for the people in Wisconsin who are uh, near to that terrible tragedy there, that you would bring comfort, peace, hope, and a turning of hearts to you. We think of the people of Haiti still, where there's such chaos. And we pray in the midst of that confusion and chaos, the name of Jesus and his gospel would prevail. You would bring good, godly order. And we pray for the 15 missionaries who have not yet been released, that you would protect them and work to bring about their release. Father, in our own nation, have mercy upon us. Would you cause that righteousness and godly wisdom and peace would be exalted? And Father, here in our own church, in our own community, I pray for those struggling with addictions struggling with issues of mental health, would you show yourself to be the Lord, our healer? Would you pour your grace upon these hurting ones? And Lord, I pray for those in our church who do counseling, who serve in health care, provide medical care. Would you strengthen them? Would you anoint them? Would you bless them and keep them and work through them to bring your healing power? And we ask these things today. In the mighty name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. During this Advent season, between now and Christmas Eve, we're going to be looking at the first two chapters 
of the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Matthew, chapters 1 and 2, the Gospel of Luke, chapters 1 and 2, contain the most detailed records about uh, Jesus' birth and the events surrounding Jesus' birth. And today I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. You'll see the verses on the screen. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came and said to her, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a, vir I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If you read through the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 1 and 2, the Gospel of Luke, chapters 1 and 2, these are the two primary Advent passages that give us all the events surrounding the birth of John the Baptist, the angel coming to Mary, the birth of Jesus, the angel coming to Joseph. If you read these two passages, you'll see some similar themes. One of those themes has to do with the fulfillment of prophecy. You heard a prophecy read just a moment ago when the Pharisees read from uh, the book of Isaiah. And as you read the Advent accounts, you'll see that they're all about the fulfillment of prophecy. In the advent of Jesus, God is tying together the Old Testament prophets and his great plan being unveiled, being revealed in the new. For example, Isaiah the prophet, who lived and prophesied roughly 700 years before the coming of Christ, wrote, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is being fulfilled in Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and Luke chapters 1 and 2. Later in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah will note that all the events of the Advent were spoken of by God's, quote, holy prophets from of old. So Advent is the bringing together the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophets tying together Old and New Testament, God's promise, God's great promises going all the way back to Abraham now being fulfilled. Another theme that recurs in these Advent accounts is the role of angels. It's interesting that there's so many appearances of angels in just these couple of brief passages in Matthew and in Luke. 
uh, just in Luke, we see an angel appears to Zechariah when he's offering incense in the temple. And uh, the angel later reveals himself to Zechariah and says, I'm Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Gabriel appears way back in the Old Testament. Gabriel was sent to Daniel, Daniel chapters 9 and 10. Gabriel was an angel that seems to have been uh, assigned with bringing God's word, bringing God's messages to people. And in our passage today, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin named Mary. Later, as you know, if you've heard the Christmas story, there will be shepherds out in the field at night watching their flocks, and Jesus will have been born, and an angel appears to them, telling them, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So there's this re recurring activity of angels because of the greatness of what is being unveiled. Perhaps more important, though, than these recurring themes is the critically important theology Advent theology that appears. Now, when you hear the theolo word theology, I know a lot of folks, they hear the word theology and they think, oh boy, that's, that's dull, that's not relevant, that's not practical. Theology is kind of like the foundation of a house. You don't see it that much, but it's critically important. Nobody goes and looks at a new house and, and says, first tell me about the foundation. I want to know about the size of the kitchen or the number of bedrooms or bathrooms. But if the foundation is wrong, bad things lie ahead. And it's that way with Christian theology. And the Advent accounts give us very essential theology. One of the first theological truths revealed in the Advent is what we commonly call the incarnation. Incarnation refers to God coming incarnate in flesh, the Son of God coming in the flesh. As we read again in Luke chapter 1, the angel saying to Mary, Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and you'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will be a real flesh and blood person, conceived in a human womb, coming as a flesh and blood baby. Yet, he'll be called the Son of the Most High. The Son of the Most High God means that Jesus would be equated with deity. I once heard somebody preaching on television say something like this. Well, Jesus was 50% God and 50% man or whatever. That's terribly mistaken. The Bible teaches us, and the Christian church has affirmed from the very beginning, that Jesus was fully God and fully human. 100% God and 100% man. This has been affirmed over the years by Christians as a critically important theological truth and a foundation for our faith. On the screen, you'll see something that's <clears throat> known as the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed dates all the way back to 325 A.D., when Christian leaders of the churches came together to affirm certain truths about the reality of who Jesus was, who Jesus is. And notice the wording beginning in the second sentence of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, 
God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit. He became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Fully God from God. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. This creed has been embraced throughout history by the three major branches of Christianity. The Protestant Church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church. Critically important statement about who Jesus is, and it's laid out right here in the Advent account in Luke chapter 1. Related to this in Advent theology is the clear teaching of what we call the virgin birth. And we read this in the angel's words to Mary that you will see on the screen found in Luke 1. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? In other words, how am I going to conceive a child since I'm a virgin? Scholars note that Mary, who was betrothed to Joseph, was likely at this time a very young teenager, perhaps even only 12 years old, 12, 13, 14. The angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. For some reason, skeptics have always made light of this fact of the virgin birth. I'm not sure why it is, but skeptics pick out certain miracles of the Bible and point out that they're absolute impossibilities. Jonah being followed, swallowed by great fish, uh, Mary having, you know, this conception as a, as a virgin. I've never quite understood that because it seems to me if God can create all things or do any miracle at all, then he can do all miracles, whatsoever he wants to do. And it's important that Jesus was born of a virgin, number one, because God prophesied it that way. We read a moment ago the verse in Isaiah, right? That the virgin shall conceive and bear a child. And secondly, it shows God's supernatural power. God, by his own power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, breaking into this world. God can create. He can give life. He can raise the dead. And so a virgin birth is no problem for him. Thirdly, we see in this Advent account the critically important reality of the Trinity, this doctrine, this belief of the Trinity. And we see in simply one verse in this account, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all working together. The angel Gabriel says, and notice the words, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. God, the Holy Spirit. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the Most High is a reference to God the Father. And the child to be born will be called the Son of God. This is referring to Jesus, God the Son. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Doctrine of the Trinity is undoubtedly one of the most important uh, foundational theological doctrines of the Christian faith. In fact, we've got some little booklets at our resource center if you want to pick one up. They're on our website too. They're free. They're called Understanding the Trinity because it's so critically important. So in these Advent passages, both in Matthew 1, chapter 2, we're going to see fulfilled prophecy. We're going to see angels at work. But perhaps more importantly, this essential Christian theology, the incarnation, the virgin birth, the trinity. But our focus today is on none of those things. The focus of our passage today is God's choice of Mary uh, to bear the child Jesus, this highly honored 
very young woman, um, would become for us a model of humility and faith and obedience to God. And I'd like to look today uh, in our passage at how Mary responded to this remarkable call she got from God. How did Mary respond to God's call? You imagine this young woman engaged to be married. Angel breaks through, Angel Gabriel, and uh, proclaims what God's going to do in her, through her, turning her world upside down. How did she respond to this word from the angel? Well, first of all, she saw a little bit of understanding, which makes sense, doesn't it? Angel says, you're going to bear a child and call his name Jesus. So she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Very natural question. But some of you who've read Luke before, Luke chapter 1, may recall that just a few verses earlier, the angel Gabriel went to someone else. He went to Zechariah, and he gave him a pretty similar message. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were old, very elderly, well past beyond the age of having children. And the angel had said to Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth is going to bear you a son in your old age. And Zechariah said, how shall I know this? For I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. Kind of like what Mary asked, right? Well, the angel says to Zechariah, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And now behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things did take place because you did not believe my words. So Zechariah asks a question, and he gets struck dumb. He can't speak throughout his wife's entire pregnancy for nine months. Why did he get punished? Well, his wife might have said, it's not so much a punishment, it's kind of a blessing, actually. <laughs> He's not going to talk for nine months. That might not be so bad. And yet Mary asks a question, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the, the angel gives her a very clear, detailed uh, answer. What's the difference? I think the difference in the two is very, very simply, it's told us in the passage, is very simply, God knows where there's genuine faith. Um, the angel said to Zechariah, this is going to happen because you didn't believe my words. angel said that though Zechariah was a good and righteous man, he had a lot of doubt about this word that had come. Whereas Mary, on the other hand, later it will be said of her, blessed is she who believed what was spoken to her. And so the angel Gabriel immediately begins to answer Mary's question. And the angel Gabriel explains these things. Number one, the power of, most, of the Most High will come upon you. Power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The angel explains that the Holy Spirit is going to empower you, Mary, to be a participant in what would be the greatest work that God has ever done in this earth. There's a beautiful truth for us here, and that is that the Holy Spirit empowers us mere human beings to be in partnership, participants with God in his work in the earth, and in a very miraculous way, that would happen for Mary. Secondly, the angel explained, God's done many things like this before. 
Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is a sixth month with her who is called barren. The angel could have pointed to any number of miraculous conceptions, could have pointed to the fact that Abraham and Sarah in their old age were given a child, or Hannah in the Old Testament was given the boy Samuel. God has done miracles before, and furthermore, nothing is impossible with God. How shall this be? Because I'm a virgin. Nothing will be impossible with God. So Mary's response to this word, she, she sought understanding, which is only natural. There's a lesson for us here, I think. If God calls you to do something in life, he'll provide all that is necessary to fulfill what he calls you to do. God may call you to step out in faith to, to start a small group, help disciple some people. Uh, somebody sent me a message this week. They, they're feeling led to start a Bible study in their neighborhood. That could be a, a fearful thing for some people. But you step out in faith doing what God calls you to do. He provides all that's necessary. Secondly, Mary responds to God's call this way. She submitted to God as her Lord. I love what she says in response, in direct response to the words in the angel. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Keep in mind again, Mary was undoubtedly very young, perhaps a young teenager, um, maybe even as young as 12 years old, and she was betrothed to Joseph. Betrothal in biblical times was a much stronger uh, agreement than engagement is in our time. Engagement's pretty strong, pretty important. Somebody gives you a ring and you get engaged, that's, that's a pretty important commitment. But betrothal was a more legally binding contract. And when Joseph would learn that Mary was pregnant because he was a righteous, a good, a just man, didn't want to put her to public shame, resolved to break this betrothal as quietly as possible. So she's young, she's betrothed, and for her to be found pregnant in that state before actually married would be absolutely disastrous. Absolutely disastrous, a scandal. Furthermore, think about it. For this young Jewish woman, the wedding was the biggest event of her life. Undoubtedly, the biggest event of her life something she had looked forward to, undoubtedly had begun thinking about, dreaming about, planning about. And now this word from God comes, and it's just going to radically turn her life upside down. She's giving up her dreams, and yet there's such faith in this young Jewish woman that she says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. <clears throat> There's a great lesson here, friends. Mary understood what it meant to call the Lord, Lord. It's no empty thing to call the Lord, Lord. It meant to bow the knee to his will, to his word, to his call. Being a believer in the Most High God was not about what God could do for her, how he could give her the the fulfillment of every dream she'd ever had or the life she'd always wanted, but how she could bow the knee to him and really become a participant in his great work. 
And I think she should be an example for us for how to respond to God's word, to God's call. Lord, I'm your servant. To call God Lord implies the willingness to do what he says. You know, Jesus said something in Luke chapter 6 about how our lives are built spiritually. Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, he said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He goes on to explain that the person who hears his words and does what he says is like a person who builds their life, their house upon a rock. So that when trials and tribulations, storms and wind come, that house doesn't fall. It's stable. That person's a doer of his word. On the other hand, the one that hears his word and just doesn't do it, it's not convenient. It's not comfortable. Well, when the trials come, that house falls. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Mary understood that to call the Lord, Lord means I bow the knee to you. I do what you say. You are my Lord and my God. The essence of genuine repentance, coming to faith in Jesus, is a turning from our own way and a turning to him as forgiver of sins and Lord, Lord of our lives. Thirdly, Mary responds to God's call this way. She believed God and committed herself to his plan. Let it be to me, according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Again, think about this. Young woman, it's going to bring all kinds of challenges to her life, despite her dreams, her plans, the public shame that could possibly come. What does she say? Let it be to me according to your word. This is a great prayer to pray when you are reading your Bible And you come across a verse that challenges you, challenges you to forgive somebody who's hurt you, challenges you to repent from some sin that's had a hold on your life, challenges you to persevere when you're struggling in your marriage, challenges you to sacrifice, to give, to serve, to pray. Lord, may it be to me according to your word beautiful example from Mary. And next week, we'll look at her continued response in what is often called the Magnificat, where Mary gives this beautiful song of praise. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. But as we reflect on this section today, I'd like to just raise a couple of questions for us. We think about the example of this young woman and her response of faith to God. I mean, she sought understanding about God's word to her. That makes sense. She submitted to God as Lord. She understood what it meant to call the Lord, Lord. And she believed God and committed herself to his plan. Lord, let it be to me according to your word. So two questions for us today. Number one, can I honestly say, like Mary did, I am the servant of the Lord? In the United States of America, we have got so many people who will designate themselves as Christians because they they embrace the general facts of the Christian faith. They believe in the existence of God. 
believed that Jesus was a real historical person, may even believe that he died on a cross, and may even believe he was raised from the dead. And you know what? The devil himself believes all those things. James said that. James said, you say there's one God good, even the devils believe and tremble. Genuine saving faith is more than that. It includes that intellectual belief, yes, absolutely, that Jesus really did come. He died on a cross. He was raised from the dead, but it's more. It includes repentance, turning from our sin and bowing the knee to him and calling the Lord, my Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord. And so it's, it's not a light thing to say, Lord, you're my Lord. It implies a surrender to him. As Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and are not willing to do what I say? It's the willingness to follow him. Secondly, am I willing to submit to God's plan for my life, even if it disrupts my own? God's plan for Mary was disruptive, for sure, of her own plans. God's plan for your life or mine may lead to a pretty radical change in life. Um, it may mean to just keep doing what you're doing, but doing it with a greater view towards serving him where you are. Greater submissiveness to him as you go through high school, as you do your work, as you go through college. Greater yieldedness to him to say, Lord, you're my Lord while I'm a student. Lord, you're my Lord in my work. Lord, you're my Lord in my family. May mean keep doing what you're doing with a greater view towards serving him where you are. God's call may be for needed perseverance in some very difficult thing you're facing. It may be perseverance in working on your marriage. A lot of people struggling in their marriages. It may be to rely on his strength as you're caring for an aging parent. And many friends in this situation in life, it's a hard thing, a uh, hard thing to do. Maybe to persevere in prayer for a child who is struggling with some addiction. But Mary's example calls us to embrace God's plan for our life and do it with yieldedness to his lordship and to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. God will empower you to do anything and everything he calls you to do. If he's calling you to give up some sin, he's calling you to break off a relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend that you know is dragging you down and away from the Lord, he will give you the power of his Holy Spirit to do it. He will give you the grace to do it. Whatever God calls you to do, the power of the Holy Spirit will enable you to do in life. And so, as we consider Mary's example, would you join me as we pray this morning? Father, how we thank you for the example of this very young woman, Most blessed indeed she was, as her cousin Elizabeth would say. And we thank you for her faithfulness. But we thank you most of all for the great plan of which she was simply a part. The plan that would provide our salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, 
God incarnate, born as a baby, who lived among us, and at the age of 33 allowed himself to be crucified, to pay the penalty for our sins, to shed his sinless blood so that through our faith in him, we could be forgiven, redeemed, made whole. Thank you. If you're here this morning, you're watching online, and you are really not sure whether you have embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I would encourage you today that this is a wonderful time to bow the knee to him and say, Lord, you are my Lord. I am the servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. Father, I also pray for those who are Christians among us this morning or watching us online who are faced with a challenge. They knew they're doing something you really don't want them to do, that you give them grace to break it off, relying on your power. I pray for those who feel you may be calling them to take a step of faith, to honor you more fully in their lives, that you give them that grace. May your blessing and your peace be with your people, Lord. In Jesus' holy name, amen.